Hello and welcome to the Anishinaabe History Podcast. I'm Chris Wheat. In the 1750s, the population of the British colonies in North America was over 1 million. By comparison, the colony of New France had only 60,000 inhabitants. One estimate of the indigenous population around that time, 1736, states that about 30,000 native people were living in this region. The east coast of Turtle Island was in the midst of a power struggle between the various indigenous inhabitants and the colonial nations of Britain, France, Holland, and Spain. The Ohio River is a way of getting into the Mississippi River. Ohio comes from a Seneca word, Ohio. It translates into good river. The Seneca language is part of the Iroquoian language family. Control of the fur trade required control of the river systems to transport materiel. To control the rivers, forts were built all over the place. Native people traded bush stuff for European stuff at the forts all across Turtle Island. Fort sites shifted occupants across generations. Forts were destroyed and rebuilt. Forts were occupied by various European nations, most notably the French, the English, and the Dutch. The Ohio River begins at present-day Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The Ohio River converges with two other rivers, the Allegheny and the Monongahela, creating forks. The Ohio River empties into the Mississippi River in what is now Illinois. As British traders entered into the Ohio River Valley from coastal areas such as present-day Virginia, the French forces grew wary of English encroachment. Likewise, the Virginians, who were not yet Americans, but who were not quite Britons, were wary of French encroachment. Between 1747 and 1754, the English and the French raced to build enough forts south of the Great Lakes to secure the Ohio River confluence at Pittsburgh. In the early 21st century, the Ohio River ranked as the most polluted river in the United States. In the 1740s, an American fur trader named William Trent was doing business west of the Appalachian Mountains. William Trent was the son of the founder of Trenton, New Jersey, who was also named William Trent. William Trent Sr. was wealthy, so William Trent Jr. grew up in wealth and headed westward into Indian country to colonize and make more money. William Trent had an Irish partner named George Crohan, Crohan could speak an Iroquois language, and in 1746 he was appointed to the Onondaga Governing Council. Crohan was considered a sachem, or chief, by the Iroquois. He helped negotiate treaties between the British and Iroquois-speaking nations during and after King George's War, which occurred between 1744 and 1748. The Haudenosaunee, who are Iroquoian-speaking, and Lenape people, who are Algonquin-speaking, have signed many treaties with Europeans. For example, Pennsylvania gets its name from William Penn, a Puritan settler who acquired upwards of 10 deeds to Lenape land in the 1680s. These treaties were agreed to by the 13 British colonies and the five-nation Haudenosaunee Confederacy. 
These agreements are known as the Covenant Chain. The Haudenosaunee had tried to trade with the Dutch since the early 1600s, but had to compete with the Mahicans as well as the Hurons. In 1640 and again in 1641, the Haudenosaunee asked for peace with the Hurons. By making peace with the Hurons, the Haudenosaunee would also be making peace with the French, who were allied with the Hurons. But Jesuit missionaries interfered and persuaded the Hurons to reject the Haudenosaunee peace plea. Moreover, the Dutch refused to sell muskets to the Haudenosaunee because the Haudenosaunee were in conflict with Dutch-allied indigenous nations in what is now the Hudson River Valley. In 1641, the French insisted on making peace terms with the Haudenosaunee, which they rejected. The terms favored the French, so the Haudenosaunee wouldn't accept them. The next year, in 1642, war broke out between the Haudenosaunee and the Huron. In 1643, the Dutch reversed their previous policy and began providing muskets to the Haudenosaunee. Over the next few years, the Haudenosaunee took control of the canoe routes and the fur being brought in from around the Great Lakes. By 1645, the Haudenosaunee were in more control of the fur trade and the French asked them for peace. That summer, near what is now Montreal, wampum belts were exchanged between the Haudenosaunee and the Hurons. In September of 1646, however, terms of the treaty had been broken. Hurons had brought 80 canoe loads of furs directly to the French in Montreal, which was a violation of the treaty. The 1645 agreement was that furs from the northwestern indigenous nations would come to the Haudenosaunee first before going to the Dutch and the French. So the Haudenosaunee went on the warpath. Quote, The Haudenosaunee resumed their attacks, determined to share in the vast and profitable fur trade. Some of the Mohawks killed Father Isaac Jogues, a Jesuit who had come among them. As in previous wars, each of the five nations of the Haudenosaunee sent out its own independent war parties. There was hardly any coordination, for although Indian strategy generally included quick raids and the blockading of trade routes, it rarely called for all-out war to crush the enemy completely. End quote. Over the next five years, the Haudenosaunee would increase the pressure against the Hurons. In the spring of 1649, after hunting north of Lake Ontario all winter, the Haudenosaunee army of about 1,000 men attacked Huron towns. Although the Huron defended themselves somewhat from the attacks, they decided to abandon 15 of their other towns by May of 1649 for fear of further attacks. By March of the next year, about 10,000 Hurons had died of starvation. The remaining Hurons were scattered and absorbed by neighboring nations. The French, although allied with the Hurons, neglected to come to their aid. Alouette, gentille alouette, alouette, je te plumerai, je te plumerai la tête, je te plumerai la tête, et la tête. Et la tête, alouette, alouette, ah, alouette, gentille alouette, alouette, je te plumerai. By the mid-1700s, there had already been many generations of treaties, confederacies, and wampum belts. When George Crohan and William Trent went westwards, 
they were continuing in a tradition that was already well established. I talk a lot about treaties in this podcast. It's because they're important. There have been hundreds of treaties signed between various nations across Turtle Island in just the past few hundred years. Some were broken, some were kept, some are remembered and entrenched into modern law, others are forgotten. Ultimately, to honor the treaties is to honor the spirit and intent of the treaties peace, friendship, and sharing the land. If we don't, then people, even cultures, die. That's all for today's episode. Stay tuned for more episodes in the future. I'm Chris Waite, and this has been the Anishinaabe History Podcast.